This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for this show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. I had a chance recently to talk to a 24-year-old Icelandic pianist. His name is Gabriel Olafs. It was fascinating because we talked about how important melody and nostalgia are to him as he's writing his music. Now, I know you might be thinking what I was thinking. Wait a minute, you're 24 years old. How can you already be nostalgic? Well, he explains that as we learn about his new recording, Lullabies for Cello and Piano. That's what we find out about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Elmacher. You were just 14 when you wrote the piece that landed your first record deal. So now, what, a decade later, um, you've just put out another new recording, and you've created a lot of music since then. How has your music evolved since that very first piece that kind of launched your recording career? Well, yeah, I I do hope it has evolved a little bit. Although I will say that this early piece this one of my first pieces that was performed actually uh, by a live ensemble was called upset minded it actually became the title piece of my first recording it did set the tone i i think i i i stumbled upon sort of a sound that i think of as my sound a little bit but then of course honing it and, and, and evolving it. And, and I think as you mature as an individual, you also inevitably mature as a musician, you know, emotionally, and uh, you learn new things and you explore. And so um, I think, you know, back then I I was mainly focusing on my own instrument, the piano. And of course, I still always go back to it. And I, it's my love and my sort of um, tool to create. I would say now I am much more exploring other instruments as well in a chamber environment. So, you know, choir, strings, writing a lot for cello and, and uh, string quartet and, and small ensembles. So I would say that's that's my current, I would say, uh, sort of new instrumentation. And of course, um, trying to create something a little bit more, you know, larger, more powerful, I would say, you know. Whether that's emotional power or, or any any kind of, I, I would say the word is like impact. I think I want uh, impact in my in my compositions these days. Even though I do, I'm keeping them shorter. I've actually I've I've written shorter and shorter pieces uh, as I've grown older, and I don't know why that is, but I, I'm really into like concise, short uh, pieces of music that still tell a story and still has chapters and leaves you with something. That's truly what we're hearing on this new collection of lullabies, short little pieces, and they are telling a story. Let's talk a little bit about the source of these pieces because they came to you, you know, they sort of fell into your lap when you were browsing through an antique bookstore. Tell me about that story and what it was about these pieces that just captivated you to take them and do something with them. Yeah, it was very random. 
I'm on like a list at this uh, old bookstore and they call me for uh, stuff that comes in and uh, many times it's just a, an old edition of some classic or or something that uh, well they do know my interest is, is very much in music history and poetry and stuff like that and when they called about this one it's it's something actually that I learned about in school studying music in Iceland I had totally forgotten about it and I actually had never seen the book it's actually quite rare this the book itself and um, it is pretty much our most I would say our most uh, important piece of musical uh, history in Iceland. I mean, our, our most important musical, uh, how do you say, like r record, you know, that is pretty much the reason why we have these uh, very old Nordic melodies today. Otherwise, they probably would have gotten lost. So your question about what it is that captivated me, I think it's um, this uh, very deep look into my own roots and my country's sort of musical heritage which is something that actually my country's musical heritage is quite it's actually not as rich as uh, many other countries even even in the nordics you know we actually don't have that deep of a musical history we, we have mainly sort of poetry and, and books is something that uh, icelanders and vikings here you know created so we, uh, I always sort of, as a musician, wanted to, it was, a, it was sort of a mystery, I would say, to me over my country's musical roots. And, and then finding this book and seeing that there are actually really wonderful, beautiful melodies existing in this book, you know, just in sheet music form. So basically it was a priest that um, toured the country and collected them. Uh, from families and churches and, and he went to every part of Iceland around the island and he collected these melodies and I think what captured me I think was sort of the you know apart from the mystery and, and, the, and the cultural value was um, that many of these melodies I thought were just reading them and playing them on the piano I, I thought they were surprisingly catchy um, because you know folk music obviously you know, it isn't really composed, you know, it's much more like um, made, you know, by people singing and it, and it changes over time. But what you're left with, with folk music is, you know, really catchy. They're, they are catchy, they're, they're captivating melodies, and uh, which I thought translated well, very well into our 21st century environment in, in music. And... Um, I mean, when you write a pop song today, you want it to be catchy, right? But with folk music, you know, you want it to be catchy for hundreds of years, you know, you, 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 you needed to survive. So um, I really liked that. I thought that was intriguing. And I, I thought of this idea of challenging myself to write new quote unquote folk melodies or new lullabies. And um, I think these were sort of the main reasons why I was really into the project. Let's talk a little bit about that, too, because I know you actually wrote maybe about half of the melodies. Is that right? Right. So when you opened that book, were there actual musical scores in there? And so you were able, yeah. you could actually see, okay, here is the melody that goes with these pieces. Yeah. How did you decide which ones you were going to create your own melodies around? Well, I actually noticed very early on going through these, and yes, these are musical scores, but then there's also text to give context. And, and many of these 
uh, or, or all of these melodies, I should say, had lyrics originally, which I'm, as a in, uh, mainly instrumental composer, I, I, I abandon on the record. I noticed very early on that um, most of the melodies that I really liked, just my, my immediate favorites, were, were lullabies. So they were class classified as, you know, lullaby melodies. And um, I picked sort of a combination of just some lesser known ones. Obviously, they're all le lesser known to the world, but if, if, from an Icelandic context, um, I picked sort of the the some some lesser known ones that I just really liked and found in the in the music score. But then I also picked some that were personally, you know, my favorites. So, for example, there's a track called uh, "Mamma." which means mother or mom in Icelandic. And that is probably our most celebrated and um, common lullaby here in Iceland. And it's one that my mom, you know, and my, or my parents would sing to me. I, I did have a sort of personal uh, bias to the how I chose them, but but yes, I did I, every melody that I used though I did recompose in a way. So I slightly altered them, I rearranged them, reharmonized, and then I oftentimes added a sort of B section or a variation in each piece, and um, of course produced them in a more sort of modern way. You know how how I recorded the piano and how. Um, in, in, in sort of in sort of my quote unquote my style, you know. And then the original ones, I just wanted to try to make them on par with the others, or or, or fit in. And that was the big challenge with this uh, recording. Actually, was. Um, composing the new ones so that they wouldn't immediately be like, oh yeah, these are folk melodies. And then he obviously composed some extras and they don't fit in. And my biggest sort of yes was when I sent it to my friends and my label. And, you know, even, you know, experts or A&Rs from my label, they were like, I, I had them guess. So I had, had, these, had my friends and my label and management and everyone just guess which ones are actual folk melodies and which ones are compositions and many of them actually weren't able to tell and they guessed the wrong they guessed my melodies as folk and something and then I was like yeah mission success can you identify those for me the ones that you created yes of course uh, so the opening track is called fantasia which is an original melody and uh, of course, it's it's, a, it's called lullabies for piano and cello. Some are solo piano, some are some are cello and piano pieces. And the first one is an original cello and piano piece. Pretty much sort of inspired by the sort of Celtic side of Icelandic uh, musical heritage, which we have. We have a sort of a Irish Celtic um, population early on that very much influenced the, the musical sound of the Vikings. And it also celebrates my love of fantasy. So I'm a huge nerd, actually. And uh, I've recently been able to admit this publicly. I'm, I'm really into, um, you know, 
as, as a kid, you know, the Lord of the Rings books and, and all of that. So I'm a huge fantasy nerd and I, I really wanted to also capture a, a sort of fantasy sound, hence the name Fantasia, you know, Fantasia. And um, uh, so the next one is called Salmur and it's a, um, it's a hymn which is uh, based on an Icelandic hymn, loosely. Which um, and Salmur means hymn in Iceland, and it's a piano and cello piece, and it's very much sort of, uh, I would say, minimalist, repetitive. I was, I was thinking maybe, I was thinking maybe like Ar- Arvopert um, class, sort of even like Johan Johansson style. So it's a very much sort of atmospheric, and then we have a we do have a bit of a dramatic sort of hymn melody in the end. And then the third piece on the album is called Nocturna, which is just the Icelandic word for nocturne, sort of a nighttime piece. And uh, it's a sort of piano miniature. That I actually wrote in the middle of the night um, on my piano and, and uh, it's an original, yeah. And then, and then number four is um, called Eltur, which means fire. And that one is also an original melody, which is starts with piano. I wanted to do one piece where it's very much like a, a question and answer sort of piano starts off and then cello completely takes over. And that one is very much sort of a Viking inspired, trying to make it as sort of Nordic sounding as I could. And then visa, which means basically visa means a little story, you know, it's a little poem. It's not the credit card, if you're if you're wondering. It has a little apostrophe on the I. And Visa is uh, also an original piece for piano and cello, and it's I would say the most sort of um, modern classical sounding one. It's very atmospheric and has a sort of catchy uh, melody, which I enjoyed. And then we have uh, Mama, which I talked about earlier, which is our sort of most celebrated Icelandic lullaby. But it's very heavily recomposed by me, I must admit. It, it felt a little bit uh, illegal to change it around, you know, given the history of the piece, but I, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like to uh, mess around.
and uh, uh, Barnkind is is a is a, a lesser known little lullaby that I really enjoyed and found in the book specifically uh, as a as a tiny little score. And I thought it sounded really beautiful just as a solo cello piece. And, and my friend Steine, who is an Icelandic cellist who, who played on this whole recording with me, we did it basically live. And uh, I wanted her to have a little, it's like a little interlude, if you will. Bartkind just means uh, a, a small child. The lyrics go sort of sleep my little child and uh, I, th I thought it was just really a beautiful, a beautiful melody. And then the next track is called Frost. Which is based on a Celtic or Icelandic slash Celtic. I think many countries actually have this melody somewhere in, in a folk song. But I know it as like a little frost winter track. Uh, and as a lullaby, and in Icelandic, the lyrics are actually exceptionally beautiful. They're about a little child in the winter that encounters a bird, and uh, it promises to come back and and ask mom to give them a, a little a piece of bread or something to to bring back to the bird, uh, because the, the little child knows the bird is freezing and hungry. So uh, it's uh, I think it's a very beautiful track. Bambalo is also an Irish melody, I think, originally, but it uh, came to Iceland with Irish sort of settlers. Um, fun fact, they say that 50%, or I think it's a fact, that 50% of Icelandic DNA is uh, Irish. So we, we're Irish and Norwegian or Norse. Uh, and that's the difference between Icelandic people and, for example, maybe Norwegians or or, fi or Finland. I, I guess Finland has their Estonian and Russian connection, but uh, we have uh, especially an Irish uh, genetic and, uh, if you go back, cultural origin. So Pampalo is actually my favorite piece and it's a recomposed sort of Irish-Icelandic melody. And then Dreimheimar is a sort of the most ambient, calming piece. Yeah, I wanted the album to end on the tenth piece as a very soft uh, lullaby, you know, to put it to. To rest in the end and that's the whole album that's the whole recording
I know that nostalgia is a mood or a feeling that's important to you as you create your music. Can you talk about why? Why is that so important to you? Great question, yes. I am a huge fan of nostalgia. Or nostalgia. Uh, why? I've never actually... I've never actually properly thought about why. I just have physically felt nostalgia in a very powerful way. I think it's very it's a very unique feeling. And you know, because I feel like you recognize sad as a sad feeling. You recognize happy as a, as a feeling of joy. You, you immediately it's a there's something sort of there's a underlying complexity about nostalgia. It's to me a uh, combination of you know joy and joy and sadness or or or, so, or something and uh, i feel it's because of this nuance in this feeling of nostalgia i i guess i guess i feel it strongly i guess as a person i feel i'm really nostalgic um almost too nostalgic and um, i feel it really strongly so and I, I think it just translates really well to music. If you try to express nostalgia or create a nostalgic feeling in a piece of music, I feel like it translates really well because of this nuance, because it's not too on the nose of a feeling. It's a very special feeling. So I've yeah, ever since I started writing, I, I do very much chase a feeling of nostalgia in many of my pieces. I'm going to point out that you are, what, 24 years old? Yeah. So the fact that nostalgia is so key to who you are, I find kind of striking. Because most often, people I know who are in their 20s, they're really looking to the future, right? They're not right. dwelling on the past or thinking about the past. What is it about that idea of nostalgia that just resonates with you so much? I mean, is there an experience you yourself have had that, you know, has just really stuck in your soul that makes you want to express that in your music? Um, well, that's that's very true. It almost sounds very sort of um, uh, like a juxtaposition, being in their, in your early twenties, and then work uh, being exploring nostalgia constantly. It almost feels like it should be explored by uh, someone older now. Someone that's been uh, composing for a long time should have probably ex- explored it. But I actually would argue that um, nostalgia is experienced strongest when thinking about very early childhood. Sort of a pure, there's a sort of a purity and uh, intensity in in your early childhood experiences and me being close to those experiences um there's a there is a i would say a strong nostalgia you feel as you are a young adult you're recently an adult and you very recently had to say goodbye to childhood and to these powerful experiences that you experienced in childhood so just like you would if you were to break up with a person like a lot of people write romantic songs because they've recently had a breakup or they've recently experienced love. I feel like I've very recently experienced these powerful childhood uh, memories that I'm uh, working out in my music. So I, I, f- I feel like as you as you become an adult, 
it's a way to, at least for me i'm speaking of course for myself it's a way for me to grow up and 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 say say goodbye to i mean you know how it is you know your childhood dog your childhood home where you grew up um and these like really beautiful memories and then you feel a little bit of a sadness because they will never come uh, these these experience feel like they never come back and i actually do i think you can feel nostalgia if you let go of the definition of nostalgia i think you can feel nostalgia uh, for the future and it sounds really stupid but um you can create a nostalgic sense in in music or art or, or anything whether it's the present the past or the future is my uh, theory as i was preparing for this conversation i was trying to think you know, myself, well, gosh, was I already thinking in a nostalgic mode when I was younger? And indeed I was, you know, especially when you get to those really major milestones, right? Like graduating from high school or something. And all of a sudden I remember walking back to the grade school where I went to grade school. And I remember sitting on a swing going, oh my gosh, like that went fast and this can't ever be, you know what I mean? And there is that feeling of it was a great thing, and it just feels like it's so fleeting in a way. So that's exactly. I thought, oh, perhaps that's been your experience as well. Yes, that's exactly the experience. These these key moments that you that are important in 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 youth, and I think fleeting is a very powerful and good word to describe it. Beautiful fleeting. When I just put this recording on. Um, just to listen to it while I was getting in the mood for this conversation, I almost had this sense that it felt sort of like a film score. And I know that that's one of your goals, is to write film music. Do you get that sense when you're composing your music now that, oh, it could actually be like accompanying a film or something like that? I don't know. Yes, I mean, I am. I'm actually very visually minded. I I always say, if I didn't go into music, I think I would be a filmmaker in some aspect. I would be an editor or, or working on, I think, visual media. And um, the, actually, my love of, of of music has a big part of it has actually been film scores. And I really love movies my whole life, ever since I was a really small child. I've, I watched a lot of movies and I'm a huge movie, I'm a huge film buff, as you would say. And um, music scores, film scores, are something that affected me in a way as a, as a kid that I can't seem to um, shake it up. It just, uh, without me knowing, I have always sort of a little bit of a film score sound because I, I because I'm visually minded and I, I just listened so much to film score and studied them so much as a as a kid. But I will say that um, I have had offers for uh, visual media. I just haven't really found a piece of visual media that I really resonate with. So I've, I, this is something I, I just found recently you know in recent years i've realized that i maybe couldn't be that type of film score composer that i've met and that i know these types of guys and girls where they can take anything and just do it and then next piece and do it and it's like a little bit of a factory you know i think i have to find 
a visual media that I resonate with in the same way that every recording that I do for Decca or, or even for myself, um, it's a it's a concept album. You know, I, I, the 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 piece that I'm working on now is also conceptual. So a huge part for me as a composer is to um, be invested in the story or the concept. It has to have this um, it has to have this purpose or this theme. And you do get that freedom when you're doing your own piece of music, like this new this new album, uh, Lullabies, that I did. You 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 are basically the director. Uh, of course, the movie doesn't exist, um, but you you are the scriptwriter, and you can make the film to your own script. And I, that's something I really like about doing your own music in your own, on your own terms. be sure to ask you about melody. I know that's really important to you as well. And it's not always important to composers. I do think, though, that, you know, there is something about that melody, right? That it just, you know, it grabs you right away and takes you into the piece. Can you talk about why the melody is so important to you? Uh, you're totally right. Um, no, and it doesn't have to have a melody. I actually say this all the time. It's like, melody is my number one, you know? But that being said, I do listen to a lot of music that isn't melodic, you know, music that is just more, uh, you know, ambient or even atonal or, you know, etc. But I have just had an absolute addiction to melodies uh, for, uh, you know, ever since I can, ever since I understood what a melody was, I was just obsessed with melodies and I constantly have a melody. Uh, in my head, whether it's something I'm thinking of or something that I heard, I like how, how do you say like um, something stuck in your head? You know, you're listening to the. Ra- That's why I actually don't listen to the radio. I I'm a, I really melodies are just a huge have just been a huge part of my life forever. And for me, it's just been. I mean, maybe I'll change my mind later. But but uh, for me, these last couple of years, I've been a composer. It's just been the easiest way for me to convey emotion and I feel like it gives your piece a lasting impression, which I it's important to me right now at least, is that you can do you can no matter how short or you know you know simple the arrangement is, you know, I I, I, I really like that you can do a short, concise piece, but it can be powerful and um, leave an impression with you for a long time if the melody is really good so yeah this this ability to convey emotion and i i right now i do feel that if i can uh, which i sort of used as a guideline for this album a ravel quote you know music should be emotional first intellectual second um i i like intellectual music but emotional impact is just where it's at for me right now. And the melody is just a great tool. And that makes so much sense because nostalgia is so important to you, right? Yeah. And what do we remember? We remember the melodies, the melodies from our childhood or, you know, a prior time in our life. So that just makes a lot of sense. Those two things work so well for you. Yeah, now that you say it, it does make sense. That, that's exactly what I'm going for. You use a technique called felt piano. Can you... Tell us what that is and why you love that technique so much. It's basically a technique where you have an upright piano and you 
put a layer of material uh, in between the strings and uh, it sort of softens the sound and you can actually experiment a little bit more with microphones uh, you can put them closer and you, you can get different um, textures in your playing and it also creates a resonance which is very unique the piano is just such a mysterious instrument and if you put things in between the hammers and the strings you can create yeah, strange textures and really cool resonances. So that's what made me fall in love with it. Obviously, it's it's become very popular, which is actually why I'm I'm trying to move away from it now. I'm really into like soft but deep and powerful grand pianos. And I actually bought my first grand piano, which is here in my living room, a Persentorver uh, old one that has this sound that I really love, which is just like really soft and round, but really powerful and deep. Um, but the felt piano is something that I discovered in like 2010 or something when I heard a German uh, electronic musician composer called Nils Fram do it. And uh, I, I, I found on Bandcamp, I think I was like 12 years old or something, and I heard an album by him on Bandcamp. And I was like, wait, you can do this? And then I immediately started to experiment with it. You're working with a classically trained cellist. You yourself are a classically trained pianist. Along the way, though, you've gravitated away from that and more toward improvisation and jazz techniques. Tell me a little bit about why that's better suited for you. Yeah, well, I am I am a, a classically trained um, instrumentalist, but I'm not a trained composer. So I never studied composition. I did study, you know, as part of my... Studies as a pianist, I did, you know, study um, music, and uh, in terms of uh, all the tools to write, I did learn in school, in music school. But I actually never studied. I don't have a degree in composition, is what I'm saying. Um, but I did study jazz piano as well and jazz techniques, and um, I just have always loved improvising. I, I think my strong suit as a musician is, um, is playing by ear. I don't think people care about that in, in my experience like in classical in the classical world they don't really care that you're good at playing by ear they really just want you to be of course expressive and and, and everything but they do want you to be able to you know read complicated sheet and, and which I actually struggled with you know my whole um, I actually I really I, I knew very early on that I wouldn't be a great concert pianist I, I was good at playing I was good at playing by ear but I always, always had to slowly read the, a complicated piece first, and and and, and you know. But I, then I saw some other players, you know, inter international players or whatever, and they they could uh, sight read really complicated pieces and etc. But I think what I've always had is is a good ear, and I can play very well by ear. And um, I, I don't know. I think I think it's sort of the almost the same part of the brain, you know, the brain that writes melodies or writes stuff and the brain that's able to hear a melody and play around it or, or, or you know, improvise as, as you do. 
as you do in, in, in jazz, you know, a lot. You, you're just creating little miniature, even though jazz is very technical, you know, as well. But you, you do create these small melodies in jazz. You, you're, you're supposed to improvise your own stuff. And uh, I don't know, even though I, I do try to go for a, a classical sound, I feel these these jazz techniques and the, and playing by ear and, and these even even pop and looking at you know electronic whatever it is techno um, ambient I, I try to consume as much as I can and I think when you melt these influences together you you get something new you get a new sound I think that's maybe why I, why I've abandoned the like fully classical I'm not creating like um, or, or at least for now, I haven't been creating sort of what you would call maybe contemporary music, you know, um, as, as some composers with PhDs are doing. You know, they have a PhD or a doctorate in composition and they create this com contemporary, often very atonal and uh, uh, sort of textural music, which I actually I don't like right now. Maybe I'll, I'll develop a taste for it. I'm not a fan at the moment. Gabriel, now that you have completed this lullabies project, looking back at this work and this work that you've done, what did you discover about yourself that maybe even surprised you? Yeah, well, after after I, I finished this project, I I would say I dis as a as a person, I discovered you know even more deeply my love for um, history and tradition. Um, and, you know, also very much, this is my deepest dive into the emotion of nostalgia. You're, I'm literally going into my own, like, uh, my, going back to my mom singing to me, you know, these melodies and then taking these, them and, and, and creating something new. So I would say, um, a deep dive into, into uh, an emotional state of nostalgia and, and just allowing myself to be a really big nerd about tradition and, and history of, of my people. Um, as a musician, I would say I, I discovered that I can um, go very, very, or I don't want to use the word simple. I mean, I, mean I, I wanted to see how far as a musician I could go with creating something that is quality without overcomplicating, like to, to go as, as much into the direction of seeing you can create something like like an a la carte menu. You know, in cooking, you can make a really complicated big dish and it's amazing. But you can also make a really complicated big dish that doesn't taste very good. So if it's oversaturated. And the same way you can create something that's just a little carrot that just leaves you hungry. But I would say what I discovered about myself is, is me wanting to create a musical a la carte menu where every small little dish does satisfy you. Yeah, so I hope the impression of the album is and that I, I successfully did that. A new collection of lullabies for cello and piano from Icelandic pianist Gabriel Olofs. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. Mm -hmm.